0: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network, and yay, it is Impeachment Testimony Day. (laughs) I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today my guest is Nicole Hobbs. She's the co-founder and executive director of Every District, which was formed in 2017 to rebuild the Democratic Party from the states up. Every district targeted two states in 2019, Virginia and Mississippi. So we're going to talk about those races and how to get involved. Uh, So everybody can make 2020 a big blue wave. And we really need to do that. You know, sometimes I talk to actors, sometimes I talk to political pundits and, and I interview them. And sometimes I chat with co hosts about the latest news. But today, my conversation with Nicole is about what we can do to flip red districts, even if you live in a blue district. It's great to have opinions and be entertained, but it's crucial for all of us liberal voters to go above and beyond just voting. Whether it's about making phone calls for a Democrat in your district or in a red district that can be flipped, now is the time to go that extra mile because the Republican Party has turned into a pro-Russia, pro-fascist group of Neanderthals, and it's up to us, we the people, to cut off their power. As I said today, the public testimonies in the impeachment hearing have begun. And it's already crazy. Devin Nunes is a liar. And he is he and Jim Jordan and all the rest of them are proving that we need to get our shit together for 2020. And you know, it's so funny, because when I woke up this morning, I smelled bribery and extortion. Did you? It's just so thick in the air. Um, Before we get started, of course, I'm going to remind everybody that Start Me Up is supported by listeners. I don't have corporate funding, and right now I don't use advertisers, so the show survives and depends on listeners like you. Please consider becoming a patron. A dollar a month, two dollars a month, that's basically like four lattes a year for me, for the work that I do. If you sign up for five dollars a month, you get access to End Another Thing, which is at least two times a month. I already did one. I'm going to do one at the end of the month, right before Thanksgiving with Steph Walton, Looking forward to talking with her. Um, take a listen to some of the shows. I've interviewed some really amazing people. Um, just visit patreon.com/startmeup. You can see some of my interviews on the front of that page. Um, you can also find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. I did notice the new and fantastic review on iTunes from Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. And I also noticed there have been two new five-star ratings. So thank you, and I need more. (laughs) Um, I am going to include the link to the iTunes uh, uh, site And I ask that you please become a subscriber and you please give a positive rating if you like the show. And a review is always, always, always very helpful. So um, that's it. We're going to have a shorter uh, show today because the impeachment hearings are on. And you know, I'm a junkie. I know you're a junkie and you're probably watching, but we're going to talk to Nicole Hobbs and we're going to find out how we can make a difference in 2020. So here's my conversation with Nicole. Welcome, Nicole.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show today.
0: Well, what you're doing is really important. Um, I did. I did talk to my listeners, and and you know, I think that. Sometimes when we talk about these kinds of issues, you know, getting out the vote and, and doing what's necessary, it's maybe not as sexy, but it's extremely important. And when I say not as sexy, I mean to like, you know, in an in interview with a really popular pundit who has a lot of opinions. Uh, I think talking to someone like you is so crucial because um, voters, obviously, as you know, um, that's why you started uh, every district, are, are concerned. We're really concerned about what's happening and it's great to tweet and it's great to listen to conversations with everybody else and hear their opinions but what we really need to do is roll up our sleeves and and get to work so that said, why don't you tell me more about every district and how you got started?
1: Definitely I'm Nicole Hobbs I'm one of the co-founders of every district and serve as our executive director and I'm sure like many of you I woke up the day after the 2016 hmm. election. With an election result, I was not prepared for. Yeah, And my immediate reaction was not to start a whole new organization, (laughs) but uh, I had a a background in local politics and campaigns. My first job out of college was working on a state Senate race in Connecticut and living in D.C. at the time, I looked across the river at Virginia, a state that was going to have elections in 2017, and saw a state that looked very blue in some respects. Mm -hmm. All of their statewide elected officials were blue, and this had been the case for several cycles now. But when you looked at their state legislature, Republicans almost had a supermajority, which seemed wrong given the overall trend of the state. So I went looking for an organization that was you know, did work with state legislative campaigns, was going to be active in Virginia in 2017, and could tell me what the roadmap was, what the path back to power was in Virginia. And what I realized was, was that in late 2016, early 2017, that organization didn't exist. There wasn't A national group outside of the party infrastructure that was solely focused on identifying competitive state legislative districts and getting activists involved to support Democratic candidates running in districts that could flip. Hmm. And so that's really how every district got started was, you know, looking at this political landscape. We said it seems like this is a group that would be really useful. And if no one else is doing this we'll start it and see if we can make something happen.
0: That is freaking awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> that you. you're doing
0: that. That, I mean, talk about just, you know, rolling your sleeves up and getting involved. That is um, wonderful that you've done that. And so um, how do you support state legislative candidates?
1: Sure. So really the first problem we had in Virginia was not only was there no group on the left who was, putting out a roadmap of which districts are actually potentially competitive, but no one had this information. Mm. We looked at, you know, Cook Political Report and 538. And for all of you out there who are political junkies and mm. check all of these various websites, I assumed that they had a state legislative section that I had just never really bothered to click on. So at the very least, you know, they would have the data and we could combine their data with the work that we would do to connect activists to candidates, and that would be the work that we did. But given that no one had this information, we had to start from scratch in terms of figuring out, okay, you know, where can Democrats actually make gains in Virginia? We ended up creating what we now call the Every District Legislative District Index, or LDI for short starting with the 100 House of Delegate districts in Virginia. And what this tells us is what the baseline partisan competitiveness of these districts are. We look at uh, national election results and other statewide election results to get a sense of how do other candidates perform in these districts to get a sense of what's possible at the state legislative level. Mm And in Virginia in 2017, we identified 18 potentially competitive districts, which was convenient because Democrats needed to flip 17 districts to flip the chamber. And from that data work, we then started reaching out to candidates who are running in these districts to learn more about them, to learn more about what support they needed. And really what became clear to us was that these candidates needed help with fundraising. Hmm. We also pulled the fundraising numbers from Virginia in 2015. And what we realized from looking at those numbers was that Democrats were getting swamped in the money race. Republicans invested massive amounts of money in districts that should have been pretty easy wins for Democrats. What that did was put Democrats on the defensive, and we couldn't play offense and try to flip districts in Virginia, given that we had to spend so much defending seats that we already held. Mm -hmm. So we set out in 2017 to try to do our part to help candidates who are running to flip districts get a little bit more money and try to even that playing field. And so those are really the two main pieces of our work that have carried through 2017, 2018 and into 2019 is identifying where there are competitive state legislative districts across the country. What is the path back to power for Democrats in the states and working directly with candidates running in competitive districts to help them get the funding they need to run campaigns that can win.
0: Hmm. Well, it seemed to work for sure in Virginia. Um, Election Day wasn't that long ago in 2019, so I want to hear more about uh, what happened from the state legislative perspectives. Also, um, I know that every district focused on Virginia and Mississippi, so can you just talk about that?
1: Definitely. Well, Virginia was very exciting. Um, as I'm <laughs> yes, sure <it> many <laughs> of you already know, You know, Democrats um, flipped both chambers of the legislature, and Virginia is now a true blue state. Which is very exciting. And we were very proud to be a part of that effort over the past two years. You know, in 2017, when we started talking to people in Virginia, there were a lot of people who told us, you're never going to flip 17 seats. Hmm. This is impossible. These incumbents have been here forever, Republicans have all of the money. You can try, but we really don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. And I think what Virginia has shown over the past two years is that when we run good candidates who have a strong connection to their community, when we fund those candidates and make sure that they can run really strong campaigns that can actually get out the vote and reach out to voters, we can win. And yeah. so I'm in that sense, I'm excited about what Virginia tells us for what's possible in 2020. Mm -hmm. Where I am a little bit concerned um, is what we saw in Virginia was a state that is rapidly trending blue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the districts that Democrats flipped, according to our data analysis, are districts that have a positive LDI score, meaning these are districts that when we look at previous statewide and national elections, Democrats are already winning these districts, but they had just kind of been left behind at the state legislative level for one reason or another. Um, You know, we also had the redistricting case that happened in Virginia earlier this year that really changed the map, Mm -hmm. especially in the House, um, and opened up a lot of new opportunities for Democrats and districts that now under these new district lines were strongly Democratic districts and we saw a lot of gains in those places. We also saw Democrats continue to do well um, with suburban voters, which will be again a key voting block in 2020, both at the national level and at the state legislative level. Um, but where the results in Virginia concern me a little bit for 2020 is that in other parts of suburban Virginia, places that are trending blue, but maybe not fully blue yet. Um, We saw some candidates come really close, but not actually get to a win. Um, And we also didn't see, and this was true in Virginia and Pennsylvania, and their local election stands out as another example of this, in places that are Maybe you might call them more ancestral democratic areas that that aren't the suburbs, are a little bit more rural. Um, We saw Democrats continue to lose ground in those places, which is concerning for 2020 and the state legislative landscape, primarily because there are a bunch of states and a bunch of state legislative seats in those states where winning in blue places in the suburbs won't Give us enough seats to get to a flip in those state legislatures. And I think of states like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, like Wisconsin, um, as places where Democrats are really going to need to think about their strategy and running the same playbook that we did in Virginia isn't going to lead to the same results Mm -hmm. in those places.
0: Hmm.
1: And to talk for a moment about Mississippi, we were really glad to be in Mississippi Um, You know, it's definitely a state that has not seen a significant amount of investment from Democrats in recent years. Um, But there are some still exciting trends in Mississippi. You know, for us, in the work that we did and the candidates who we endorsed, Mike Espy's Senate race uh, last year showed that Mississippi is experiencing a lot of the same trends that we're seeing nationally, where Mike Espy did quite well in a lot of suburban areas um, outside Jackson and outside Oxford, and those were districts where Democrats did well in Mississippi. Two of our candidates flipped districts from red to blue, even if the overall trend line in Mississippi wasn't quite as exciting as what we saw in Virginia.
0: Well, um, I don't I, I don't know the numbers here, but I know that like I watched Steve Kornacki as results come in. Is it true that the Democrats had better... Um, Percent like higher percentages um, in Mississippi this time, even though they didn't have the wins that we saw in Virginia.
1: Yes, we definitely saw a higher turnout this year than there was in 2015, which was the last time uh, that any of these races were on the ballot in Mississippi.
0: And then also, did the candidates have like, um, like for instance? candidate X in 2017 or, you know, an, an earlier election might have gotten 40% of the vote. And then maybe in, in, in this 2019 election, they got 50%. Was there anybody, and and while they still lost, and I'm just throwing out numbers, did they have higher percentages as far as uh, the amount of votes as opposed to just the turnout? Or yes do you and know no. that? Yes um,
1: So in Mississippi, there are Two diverging trends happening, which I mean are also happening in other states across the country. We definitely saw gains in a lot of suburban districts. Mm -hmm. So even places where we didn't get to a flip, Mm -hmm. uh, the Democratic vote share was definitely higher. Okay. Um, But there were we also lost quite a few districts in Mississippi, and this Mm. was particularly true in the state Senate. There were several districts still held by Democrats that leaned heavily Republican. Mm -hmm. Think kind of large double-digit negative LDIs, according to our data work, Um, you know, kind of firmly places that are Trump country on the national level. And we ended up losing those seats, which cut into um, the overall gains that Democrats were trying to make Mm -hmm. in the state. So there's good news and bad news that came out of Mississippi from those two trends.
0: Well, it's good to have any good news in Mississippi, (laughs) (laughs) considering how red it is. Um, So what are your plans for 2020?
1: We plan to be in several states across the country in 2020. In early September, we released what we're calling our Purple State Project, we did a massive update of all of our data, and if you'd like to see it, you can go to our website, everydistrict.us, where we have a big map on our homepage. You can click on any state, and we'll show you all of our district rankings for that state, along with our overall chamber ranking for the 2020 cycle. Hmm. And from our Purple States project, we've identified a uh, 28 chambers, I guess 24 now that 2019 is over in Virginia and Mississippi mm-hmm. are not included in that, that we're keeping our eye on. Um, and these include states that, you know, probably make sense that we would be there, states like Arizona, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Texas. Um, then there are a few other states that we're keeping our eye on, um, Georgia, Montana, North Carolina, Ohio, West Virginia, Wisconsin, um, and those are states where The path back to power is a little bit more difficult. Democrats in those states need to win a significant number of seats. And as I was mentioning previously, in quite a few of these states, for Democrats to actually get to a flip in the legislature, they have to win in fairly Republican territory and in places that Democrats are not gaining at the moment, places where Democrats used to be successful, but in the past few cycles have seen their vote share drop off. Hmm. But as we move into 2020, um, the first filing deadline is coming up next month. Texas has a very early filing deadline, so we'll know the candidate field uh, there next month. And then once we get into 2020, there are filing deadlines starting in January and more each month where we'll start having sets of candidates that we'll be able to work with. Um, We'll be setting up fundraising for those candidates so we can continue our fundraising program um, to help make sure candidates can get off to a strong start in their campaigns. Um, One thing we definitely saw in 2018 was that While we invested more in state legislative candidates than we have in recent cycles, a lot of the money didn't reach candidates until late in the cycle, which is still helpful, Um, but for some of these candidates, you know, they weren't able to hire staff until the fall, if at all, and so one thing that are working on for 2020 is trying to do more as earlier as we can for these candidates to make sure that they're getting off on the right foot and can be building a strong campaign operation from the start.
0: Wow, that sounds uh, very promising. Um, what, how, okay, so what does election day 2019 tell us about what's possible for 2020? Well,
1: there's good and there's good and bad signs. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that this points to strong opportunities in certain places like the Pennsylvania, sorry, the Philadelphia suburbs, um, where there are a bunch of seats that Democrats can pick up in Pennsylvania. That's a top target state on our list where I think Democrats are in a strong position to flip the chamber. Um, I think in a state like Arizona, Democrats can really close, uh, last year to, um, getting to a flip in both chambers there. And I think that's another state where with the competitive Senate race, with it being a target state nationally, um, Democrats are in a strong position to flip the legislature. Um, Iowa is another state that's high on our list. Um, this is a state where Democrats are going to have to reach out to voters who might have voted for trump in 2016 Mm. Um, but i do think there's a path there particularly in the house for democrats to get to a flip Um, minnesota is a state where democrats are poised to flip the state senate last year minnesota um, i think they flipped like 18 seats or something like that to get to a flip in the house um, which was a really incredible effort by folks who were working there um, and the state senate is a place where Democrats can win a couple of already Democratic leaning districts to flip that chamber. And then Texas is another state that we're really excited about. Democrats need to flip nine seats to flip the state house, and there are nine state legislative seats at Beto 1 in 2018 that are currently held by Republicans, um, which there shows a path for how Democrats can get to a flip in that chamber. Um, And for folks who have questions about other states, you can go on our website and click on that state and learn more um, about our chamber rankings in those states and where we see opportunities for Democrats to make gains.
0: As far as Texas goes, I mean, how confident are you that we could flip it in 2020?
1: I will say I've been pessimistic about Texas um, and that I was wrong last year. (laughs) That was a place where, you know, there were other people who made investments in Texas or in Texas. Um, You know, the numbers in Texas really didn't look great. Um, But I think what we saw last year was Beto's campaign really Energized and got you know people out to vote and people out to vote for Democrats in a way that we hadn't seen in previous cycles mm-hmm. in Texas, and so I do think the organizing work that he did in 2018 um, presents a really strong opportunity in 2020, and even outside of what Beto did, if you you know, and you can go to. Um, our Texas map and take a look at this because we also have the 2018 state legislative election results there. There were quite a few districts where Democrats came really close to flipping districts, um, and missed out by a couple hundred votes in certain places. And so I think that also shows that at the state legislative level, um, There's excitement, there's a trend uh, toward Democrats, and there are places where there was a lot of really great organizing work that happened in 2018 that Mm -hmm. we can build on for 2020.
0: Um, You know, everybody likes to pay attention to the presidential elections, and um, not everybody always pays so much attention to the midterms, although fortunately we did see uh, presidential turnout in 2018. But why should people care about what happens in the states?
1: Any policy area that you care about, state legislatures have a say on that policy area, whether it's climate change, abortion access, gun violence prevention, um, equal pay for equal work, health care. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Who state legislators are in these places and what decisions they're making has a huge impact. I mean, we saw this earlier this year with these, you know, so-called heartbeat bills that started mm, yeah. wrapping up in various state legislatures across the country. I think as Democrats, we like to look to the federal government um, as our vehicle for making policy because we want policy change to happen in a big broad way. But what, you know, what that in particular is just one example of the way in which Yes, Roe v. Wade might still be the law of the land, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of ways that Republican state legislators can go about undermining mm-hmm. that. Um, and, you know, we've seen that on a variety of different issues at the state legislative level. But even if you say if that doesn't convince you and you say, no, I I just want to care about the federal government, I don't want to think about what happens in the states. The reason why what happens in the states in 2020 is so critical is because of redistricting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these state legislators who we elect next year, it's not just that they'll be redrawing their own district lines. They'll be redrawing congressional lines. You know, we have the impeachment hearing happening today, which would not be happening without a Democratic majority in Congress. Mm -hmm. And if Republicans are the ones sitting at the table and redrawing congressional lines, you can be sure that they're not going to be drawing lines that are favorable to Democrats. And that means that our congressional majority is at stake, Mm -hmm. in particular because this summer the Supreme Court said we're not going to intervene in cases of partisan gerrymandering we're going to leave that to the states which is just open the floodgates for republicans to literally draw whatever lines yeah. they want and says that there's no place for the federal courts to intervene um, you know we can have a side conversation about what's possible in state courts which is what we're seeing in north carolina right now but big picture is if we want to still have a say in policy making in washington beyond 2020 what happens in the states in 2020 is going to affect that for the next decade
0: and that's probably the most important piece of information um because it's it's it, it it's like everything you know i mean if if we don't have a say if if republicans get to um decide that redistricting it's like goodbye, goodbye opportunity for Democrats. <laughs> so it right. is, it is.
1: That, that's
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so crucial. And, you know, I mean, I I wrote a book um, on the importance of voting several years ago, and it was kind of a book that I wrote too much, like for my 20 something year old self when I really wasn't paying very much attention. And I didn't realize the importance of not just, I mean, I voted in, even though I paid attention and I voted in presidential elections, um, I I didn't really pay attention to anybody else. I didn't I didn't focus on the Congress. I certainly didn't pay attention to what was happening at the state level. And part of the reason, and I've talked about this before on my show, is that uh, I went to California public schools, which never really taught civics or government. And I think if I would have learned at a young age um, certain things, like I always say that if I if I if I understood that a president nominates a Supreme Court justice, and then the Senate votes on that justice. I think I would have been more engaged politically. I just, I didn't understand how government worked. And I I spoke with the comedy duo Frangela last week, and they pointed out that one of the benefits of a Trump presidency is now more people are aware of how government works. And, and my point is basically to, to go back to what you were saying about how important we, like how important it is, to focus on what happens in the states because it it does have such an impact on the bigger picture. So um, I really appreciate that you focused on that because it's it's monumental. Um, and then, how do people get involved? How can we, as voters, do more than just vote?
1: Absolutely. Well, as a first step, you should visit our website, everydistrict.us. There you can sign up for our email list. I promise we won't spam you, but that (laughs) is the best way um, to get information from us about what's happening in the states. And especially as we head into 2020, um, if you're on our email list, you'll be the first to know as we start endorsing candidates in key states across the country and are releasing new pieces of analysis about how we're seeing the state legislative landscape shift throughout the 2020 cycle. The other ask, the other thing that you can do right now is you can donate. And if you click the donate button on our website, um, that will let you donate to what we call our 2020 fund. Um, So as I mentioned, one uh, thing that we're trying to do is make sure that candidates we're working with can get a strong head start in their campaigns. So this 2020 fund will allow us to build up a pool of money so we can write checks to candidates shortly after the filing deadline to help them start building their campaign operations from day one. So whether you can give $5 or $50 or $500, every little bit will go toward helping candidates on the ballot in 2020 who are running in the most competitive districts across the country. And if you really want to take the next step, um, you can become a fundraiser with every district. So we believe in a a different way of doing fundraising. I'm sure a lot of you out there have given to Democratic candidates and causes before. And you get what I like to call the emails, which is, you know, an all caps email. Maybe it's from Nancy Pelosi saying, you know, if you don't give $5, we're going to Lose our house majority (laughs) and it will be your fault. (laughs) Um, And look, these emails work. They raise millions of dollars. And maybe you give, but you give because you're scared and not because you're excited about what's possible. With our fundraising program, we recruit people who we call fundraising champions. We train you and we teach you how to be an effective fundraiser for state legislative candidates. So it's great if you can give five dollars. It's even better if you can give five dollars and get 10 of your friends to also give five dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you've just started to multiply the impact that you can have on a state legislative candidate. So if you're interested in taking that next step, um, you'll see our take action section on the website. and You can go to our fundraise page and learn more um, about how you could get involved with us in the fundraising process. And I'll also note that right now we're kind of in between where our 2019 campaigns have ended. Our 2020 campaigns haven't started up yet. Um, but once our 2020 campaigns are in full swing, we also have lots of ways for folks to get involved, to knock on doors for candidates if you're living in a key target state, um, or to do phone banking or text banking for candidates if you don't directly live in a state where we'll be working.
0: Yeah, and that's key. I mean like I, I in my introduction I pointed out that you know there's there's so much we can do. We need to put in a little extra effort, because our democracy is literally at stake. And unfortunately, the Republican Party has turned into something that even some some of their own members don't recognize anymore. So all of all of this is wonderful. I'm so glad that you uh, started every district. And I'm going to be putting the link to uh, that site in the description of the in, in the Patreon description. And why don't you tell everybody where you are on social media?
1: You can find us on Facebook at every district and you can find us on Twitter at every underscore district.
0: Perfect. And so I will be including the links to, to um, the Twitter and to the website. And thank you so much for coming on today and talking with me.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: It was great having you on. Well, pardon the the beeps. I got two phone calls in the middle of this interview, which has never happened before. And I'm going to have to figure out a way to turn that feature off on my iPhone. If anyone has any suggestions, go ahead and comment. Um, that was a great conversation and, in, and a very important conversation. As I said at the beginning of, of the uh, the show, I think that we love, you know, we get caught up in, the excitement of things and the sexiness of all the politics and the the anger. So I would just say, you know, use your anger to guide you into helping other Democrats winning in 2020. Um, As I said, I'm going to include all the links and it's great. It's a great website. There's all kinds of places to go and visit. And um, also, you know, when you are working on helping the Democrats. It takes some of that anxiety away, especially when terrible news comes down. You know, I mean, there's so much of it that I can't even think of one particular thing outside of caging children. Um, But it makes you feel like you're doing something instead of just being afraid. And right now there are a lot of things that are scary and our democracy literally is hanging um, on a thread. You know, we the, the norms that we've come to depend on and rely on are not necessarily rules that have been in place. They're just, just norms that have been followed, even by presidents that we haven't liked on either side of the aisle. So now we're in a new territory and thankfully there are people like Nicole who have made a decision to do more than just vote, to do more than just be af- upset and afraid when Donald Trump does or says something awful and hurtful to our country. Um, thank you for listening today. I, I, I am dying to get back to these impeachment hearings, but I'm also very grateful that this show um, you know, was, was, was scheduled because it's kind of a perfect thing. We're watching these impeachment hearings and now here's something that you can do to help change how our country is set up politically we can do this we can just work from the state level and work the way up thank you for listening today and i'll talk to you next week